The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Starlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello everybody, thank you for joining us again on Walk the Mile. Today, we have another primary school member of staff. We've had a few primary school members of staff. And today we're talking to Julia Jekyll. How are you, Julia? I'm good, thank you, Gary. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to see you. You now, too. Julia, Julia's been part of Skeggs for quite a while. When did you start teaching at Skeggs, Julia? I started in 2012. So next year, I've actually been at Skeggs for 10 years now. Wow, fantastic. Mm. You've taught from memory you can tell me if i'm wrong you've taught across the years quite a bit what what years have you taught i started on year four and then i went up to year six for quite some time and then just before i went on maternity leave i was on year five so mainly the upper year groups okay so you're a class teacher for quite a long time and you had your little boy axel and uh now you've come back to teaching how many days are you teaching now I'm teaching two days this year um, and I'm in a completely new role. Um, so I'm in the learning enrichment team. So that's still working with um, year six, year five and six, um, but in a support role for the class teachers. Okay. And what, what would that entail in terms of primary school being learning enrichment? Are you working with kids who might be um, struggling academically or what would it mean? Exactly. So girls that might need a little bit more support um, in the classroom, um, a little bit more um, of instruction, one-to-one time if we need to boost them with their reading skills um, and just being another person in the room really for support um, and making sure that they, they feel like they have enough adults there who they can ask for help um, and seek out anything extra that they would need. And moving into that new role, have you uh, started sort of reaching, not reaching out, but looking into how that works, like being a, from being a full-time teacher or you're having your own, class, your own classroom or your own class to being an assistant? Like how's that different or are there different skills that you need to learn in, or, in order to do that role? Well, I think it's definitely um, giving you a different uh, perspective to what you actually are seeing in the classroom yeah. because instead of being the person up there leading, you know, all the whole class, you're actually sort of on the sideline working um, with the classroom teacher but also viewing the classroom in a different way in terms of, um, I guess, seeing those students that, you know, how do they see the classroom and, and what, what might they feel is difficult yeah. and I think, as a classroom teacher, you often don't have time to delve into that sort of world as much because you have so many other kids to worry about. Um, 
So it's given me the chance to really focus on those in particular that do struggle and um, need a little bit of extra support. I think knowing of what it's like to stand in front of a class, and sometimes you do notice those kids, don't you? You notice those mm. kids who look like they're struggling or they're not getting it or something else is going on. Mm. But at the same time, you've got this uh, other agenda of having to attend to 25 others. So I guess it's a quite a different position to be in when you can concentrate just on individuals. That's exactly right, yes. No, it's been a great learning journey for me too. That's good. Good on you. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to Helen Dempsey, the head of the primary school, and we were talking about long-distance relationships. And uh, I know over the years I've followed your long-distance relationship, <laughs> which is no longer a long-distance relationship. <laughs> but you for a while were, um, were having to go to visit your partner. Andrea, yeah. Andrea, <laughs> Andrea sorry. And where was he? And so, yeah, so he's in Italy. So we met here, um, but he was uh, being a firefighter over there. He um, had to go back for work. And until he didn't get his permanent residence in Australia, um, he couldn't apply for that job here. And he absolutely loved that job. So we made the difficult decision to um, try to keep our relationship going, but both still being able to do what we love, which is me teaching and him being a firefighter. So, um we kept that going for a couple of years until we were waiting for him to get his permanent residency. And, um, well, there were times where I really didn't know if I could keep going or if, if it yeah. was going to work out or yeah. so many unknowns. You know, you just can't predict what's going to happen in the future and if he can even get in here because it's such a competitive job as well to get into. Um, but we, yeah, we made it and now now we're on the flip side of that and he can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> He's locked down. He's locked down. Um, yeah. yeah, but things sort of, you know, worked out the way that I'd always, we'd always hoped. And we were very yeah. fortunate that our journey sort of um, went down the path of, of things sort of falling into place. It took a lot of hard work and a lot of um, optimism and perseverance. But, um, yeah, we're here we are. And, and we've got a little family. We've <laughs> got a little family, little Axel. Yes. And tell us about Axel. How was how was that experience having you know, your first son? Oh, we were so excited, obviously, you know, and, and the unknown and scared. Um, but it was, um, yeah. So the start of last year, just before the uh, the lockdown last year began, um, I had um, Axel, and um, yeah, I mean, it's been an incredibly challenging year because we found out that Axel was born with profound hearing loss um, and couldn't hear at all. So that was a complete shock to us. So um, we've been through a huge emotional roller coaster this last year and a lot of challenges um, all at once, really, I guess, with the, with the pandemic that then started shortly after and trying to navigate the world of parenting and not knowing how to even be parents and then putting on top of all of that, um, the diagnosis that we received, it was all very confronting and um, put a lot of strain, obviously, on us too and not being able to see family um, or friends in that time. So, yeah, it's been a yeah. huge journey, but we are, again, you know, we just had to persevere and try to keep as positive as we can um, and focus on the journey forwards rather than dwelling on sort of what's happening in the moment. So. 
And was that something you uh, may have known about before Axel was born? It's not, it's not something you can really know. Um, we, on Andrea's side of the family, there's a little bit of history with um, hearing loss, but not to the point where we would have thought that our child would be born completely um, without any hearing. So, um, no, we, we didn't know at all. It was a very it was a shock, complete shock. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. How was that picked up? Because I'm... Um, I'm guessing, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really guessing anything. I'm, I can't imagine what it would have been like to find out that your very young child um, couldn't hear as well as what you hoped to. Was it because he wasn't reacting to things or how was it? No, so they've actually introduced um, last few years uh, testing the hospital. So as soon as the babies are born now, the first few days, they do what they call a swish test and they actually right. check the hearing of all babies. So that's not even something that we put into motion. That's just something they did. And that came back inconclusive. Um, and, again, we didn't think much of it because they said newborns can be born with um, a lot of mucus buildup, so it might just be blocked up. Um, and we had to go back a week later and do it again, and it was still inconclusive. So um, at that stage, we obviously started worrying just a little bit, but mm. I still was hopeful that it was nothing. Um, and then we had to go to the children's hospital and do a more extensive um, test, which actually took an hour, um, where they put little electrodes on his head and he has to sleep and um so and there that was then conclusive so then we received the news so he was about four weeks old at that stage um when we found out so wow yeah so shocking because it's so early on in the journey of being parents but at the same time we're grateful because we know now through what we've been told that early intervention is the best thing you can do so we were therefore able to start with all those um suggestions and all those things that they or they recommended that we get started with and um give him I guess the best possible outcomes in the end when he grows up yeah, yeah. So, so what's been the process since then since he was four weeks old in terms of trying to help his his hearing impairment so we started with hearing aids which I didn't even know was possible for little babies like yeah, that. Right. Um, so they had to take the moulds of his ears every couple of weeks because they grow so quickly at that stage. Um, and then they start with hearing aids basically to see if that is enough um, or if um, it's not enough, then you have then they advise to consider cochlear implants, um, which obviously is a more invasive way to go. Um, and even then it's not always guaranteed because... It's all about the nerve that travels from the cochlea to the brain. And if that nerve is not intact, then it is also very difficult for the cochlea to work. So the next step was getting the MRIs done um, to check that everything was functioning. We were, we, and then just getting the news that the nerve was intact on both sides was just so um, amazing. Like we were just thrilled and thought this is the best news ever. You know, our expectations really changed a lot in terms of what we thought was good news. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just coming to that decision of um, going down the cochlear implant um, road took a very, very long time because it's something that, you know, you're taking the responsibility for your own child and making decisions that impact yeah. the rest of their life. And so it's a huge responsibility for a parent to make that decision. Yeah. And I think, you know, we had to really be sure and um, 
and speak to as many different experts as we could. And, and on top of that, I guess, as you say, you know, your child's from four weeks old here, you, you've got this diagnosis and then thinking about a plan and with, with every step, there's uh, certain worries that come with those steps, mm. head, you know, the nervous system and um, all those other things that go along with it. How, how did you, how did you deal with that, with the, with the, all those little bits that come along with it. As you said, you know, there were some things that you're very delighted about. Mm. Each step of the way that brings new worries, I guess. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think talking to families and friends um, was really important throughout that time. Um, and, and all the experts and the medical teams and um, Axel started with speech therapy very early on as well. So right. once, once a week. Um, pretty much from when he started with the hearing aids. So that was all on Zoom, mind you, to begin with because of the lockdowns that were going on. Um, so we didn't actually even meet these medical professionals until a little bit further down the track, which was another challenge as well because we wanted nothing more than to actually see people and talk to people and, and we couldn't do that either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've been, we've both been blown away by the support that's out there, which you wouldn't even know unless you needed it. So. Yeah from medical people to just people that are mentors, families that have been through it as well, um, yeah. to like, you know, financial support. Like it's just incredible what, what is actually available. And if anything, it's made us appreciate that this is that, that we are in Australia and this has happened to us in Australia. So yeah. phenomenal because the cochlear was invented here too. So, I mean, that's a place to be, yeah. Yeah. So was there like a common support group of parents who've been through what you've been through and you're able to share those stories? Yeah, so through the centre where um, we have the intervention, there's other families there with children of all varying degrees of hearing loss um, and how and ages as well. And so they're, they're very happy to always connect us up with other families that are willing to share their journey as well. Um, and then there was a mentor program early on as well, which um, connected us with a specific family who then, she came over with her daughter who's got two cochlear implants and she, you know, they baked muffins for us, like brought them over and Axel was only a few months old. So that was really nice to actually see a, a child that had gone through that journey and she was there and talking and showing us how the cochlear works. And so yeah. I think just, having kind of role models or people to guide us through that difficult time and to see the outcomes and to see what it can look like in a year or two, yeah. I think was quite reassuring. That was really important to have that. Um, sorry if this is a dumb or obvious question. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, you know, I guess any parent that might have a child who's um, born with a, an impairment or some sort of disability, there'll be certain frustrations around raising that child. Mm. What would you say would be some of those frustrations for you and Andrea in terms of uh, Axel's impairment as you, as you went through that? I yeah. think early on the thing that I noticed the most, um, because a lot of my friends had babies around the same time, so I had a lot of comparisons. And 
the thing that often would emotionally get to me is the the connection that they had with their baby um like eye contact and when the mum would talk to their baby you know the baby reacts or does something um and I couldn't do any of that you know I couldn't sing to Axel I couldn't um you know sleeping was just uh, and still is today actually very challenging because it takes a lot for him to switch off because he's so visually alert um so his other his other senses are so heightened which is just wonderful to see and in the right context it's a blessing but often it's also a challenge and um very difficult so I think, you know, as he's still young, he's still only 17 months old, so the journey's just sort of getting started for us still as parents. Yeah. But yeah. I think early on the, that emotional connection was a, was difficult. Um, and I think, but now now that um, he's sort of older and he has had the cochlear implants and his hearing's actually been phenomenal, the progress, um, we are getting that communication and that's right. been great too. But yeah. he's still... Um, he, he still he's, he has a lot of sensory needs, so he'll often get really overexcited or overstimulated, and it takes a lot to calm him down. So I mean that can be quite frustrating at times when you want to be able to communicate to him the way that you communicate to anyone else, and it's still yeah. it's obviously hard because we're just at the beginning of that journey. So yeah, so there are definitely times where we wish wish things could be different, but. You know, the majority of the time is just like any other good boy, cheeky and <laughs> causing trouble. <laughs> well, that's a good that's point. Fine. A good point, isn't it? Because I think, you know, often we do use language to soothe people, I guess, mm. words or um, even our, the tone of our voices mm. to soothe other people. And without that, um, yeah, I can see, I can see how that could be quite frustrating or missing in some what about for axel have you noticed um with the impairment how it might have frustrated him at this stage or is it too early to tell look i think because he was born like that he doesn't actually know any difference and i think i think the only thing is now that he has got the hearing which is obviously a huge shock to him because he hasn't had that in 14 months when he was implanted um I think now because his speech might be a little bit delayed, um, he probably is getting frustrated, which is what that sort of those loud sounds are that he makes or when he gets, you know, he wants his food now, he doesn't want to wait, he screams (laughs) uncontrollably. And I think if he was at a hearing, if his hearing was at the same age as his actual age himself, I think he could communicate that in a different way. So that could be frustrating for him. but we're lucky that he's actually quite, um, he's, he's caught on quite quickly with how to let us know what he needs with pointing and, and making various sounds. So I think he, he's done really well in trying to actually talk to us without being able to you know, verbally communicate yet or fully understand the meaning of what we're saying. So it, it could look a lot worse, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's a, a different... It's a totally different um, aspect to communication, as you said, isn't it? Like Mm. you have to think a little bit harder about how you're going to communicate. That's right, yeah, definitely. What about um, uh, in terms of school or preschool or those things, is, is that a consideration in terms of even now, you know, 
playgroups or um, you know early childcare? How does how does that come into play? Is there a, is there a special school that he or a special childcare that he goes to? Yeah, so he would just go to the mainstream um, childcare or um, you know groups for for kids, but. I mean, at the moment, that, that's been a huge disadvantage too. Like none of that's going on because yeah. um, of the pandemic. And so we have to be really careful. Um, childcare is something we definitely wanted to consider for him, especially socially and developmentally once he was implanted. Um, but since his implants, um, which came into effect, uh, which were implanted in April, um, he's had a lot of ongoing medical issues. So the risk with um, once you do have cochlear implants is that you can't really get infections because in the ER because it, um, if it then travels to the foreign body, which is the implant inside, um, if that gets infected, then it ultimately might need to be replaced, which is not good at all. So we really have to stay away from infection. So at the moment, this is probably the worst time to be exposing him to infection. Yeah, sure. yeah. Since it's all still quite um, raw and and with obviously the pandemic and everything, and oh. so we've we've been sort of tossing and turned, not really sure what to do at the moment because socially and developmentally he's so ready for it. Yeah, of um, and he needs it, and so do yeah. we. <laughs> we need yeah. we need an axle free day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just medically, it's just been advised to us just to wait a bit longer until um, mm. everything settles a bit. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's been a stress as well because mm. not sure really what to do at the moment with that. Um, yeah. Sort of have to weigh up what's, you know, the risks outweighing the benefits and, yeah. Yeah, sure. And your, your profession as a teacher and um, a very good teacher at that. Oh, thank uh, you. How um, how do you think that practice has helped you in your parenting, particularly in in this sort of specific situation? Oh, it's interesting you ask that actually, because a lot of the professionals we've been working with, Help Axel, have been always saying when they hear that I'm a teacher, they say, oh, that's perfect for Axel because I think because there's a lot of um, the therapy we do is auditory verbal therapy and that's all about empowering and teaching the parents to actually do the therapy at home. And I think being a teacher already, um, I I guess I have the skills, I guess, and mindset to to sort of do that naturally without having to learn how to teach in a sense. Yeah. Um, Because it is all about using voice and it's about persistency and it's about um, patience and and all those things that I I have had to use in the classroom for, you know, my whole teaching career. So I do think that that has has, um, benefited Axel incredibly. in that way and and the flip side to that is I think Axel's journey has benefited my teaching as well because I'm now seeing those kids that do have um, specific differences or needs or as they like to say are neurodiverse Um, I think I'm now seeing their needs in a different way too and and sort of understanding a bit better how it all starts and um, yeah. and what intervention looks like and how to actually yeah. um, get external people involved or um, and and actually mainly I guess that having a difference doesn't make you any less you know of a person or not that I ever thought otherwise but 
I think it's just made me realise how equal all kids are and and actually how different all kids are, whether or not you have a specific labelled, um, you know, diverse need or whether you just learn in a different way. I think it's all the same thing at the end of the day and everyone needs slightly different adjustments to be the best learner they can be. That's right. And I think that's a lovely point that you made because I think sometimes we, as you say, there might be someone who's neurodivergent or some other what we might call, you know, you know, before Julie and I were talking, I was saying, you know, what do you want me to call it? Because <laughs> is it really an impediment? Is it really a disability? Or is it, uh, you know, part of who, who these people are? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think particularly in education, until we can embrace the person for who they are and mm-hmm. see the positives, the strengths in it as well, you know, they might not be able to, keep up with whatever we want to create as the mainstream just makes it easier for us who want to you know keep things to the mainstream <laughs> but to be able to embrace people for who they are mm. um, it's a it's a huge lesson to learn in education isn't it yes definitely definitely yeah and to to appreciate just those kids for the way they learn or the things their world. Right, because I wouldn't actually, if I if, if Axel was somebody else's child, I actually wouldn't even know, know that he couldn't hear. Mm. Um, and that was before cochlear implants. There was, there's nothing that would have indicated to me that he can't hear because, you know, he he was he was expressive. He would laugh. Um, he'd look at you. Um, he is visually just incredibly gifted. So. I think there's so many, I think with weaknesses come strengths and that's just everybody, yeah. isn't it? Like everybody yeah. has weaknesses yeah. and strengths and yeah. whether it has a name or not, I don't think it matters yeah. at all. I think it's just having that awareness and knowing yeah. how to best help that person achieve their full yeah. potential. And it's, and it's like what you were saying before in your new role, it sounds like you're able to enter into an individual's world a bit more. We have the time and the opportunity to enter into someone else's world mm. understand that a bit more than rather than having to you know jump around 25 different worlds at the same time and then that's a real gift I think to be able to do that yeah exactly definitely I think it's all sort of aligned interestingly enough perfectly <laughs> um, that role and my personal situation with Axel and I think um, you know, life has a really interesting way of taking you down certain yeah. paths, pathways. Yeah. And and that's what Andrea and I are constantly, you know, reminding ourselves to. And, and people have been so wonderful and saying things like, you know, Axel's chosen you guys because mm. not everyone could maybe handle this kind of situation. And, and that's a really lovely thing to say and, yeah. and obviously to think about because, um, yeah, you have to be. You have to be grateful regardless and, and positive as best yeah. as you can be, um, no matter what sort of life throws at you. And and I, I do have this sort of feeling that things um, work out the way they're meant to be. And oh, Good on yeah. you. <laughs> and for those who don't know, you were on national television as well. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the living room. Yes. I, I, I actually cried. I, I cry at all sorts of things at the moment. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm, I'm fragile myself. <laughs> this was worth crying for. Oh. Was a beautiful story. How did, how did that come about? 
Oh, well, we um, I, we actually applied at the end of last year, sort of half as a joke, because we just moved house and we thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a bit of help, you know, in the house in some sense, especially outside for Axel, because there wasn't really much for him to do. Yeah. And so um, Andrea mentioned it as a joke because they were um, uh, advertising for applications. And then oh, really? I sort of just jumped on um, one night and I thought, you know, I'm just going to see what happens. And then, yeah, they just loved our story, I think, because it's quite different. And, yeah. um, you know, you don't hear these sorts of things every day. And and they wanted to help us. And it was such a beautiful experience because they were all lovely and really invested in Axel and his story and his journey. Yeah. And they, they came to the day that he was switched on with his hearing um, yeah. and were there for that. So they sort of became part of the family. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> and, yeah, and in the end they created that beautiful cubby house outside in Sandpit. Yeah. And um, that was actually a reveal. Like we hadn't seen it until That's what I was wondering. Because yeah, you know, some of these reality shows and they go, oh, wow. And I think, oh, they must have seen it before. Yeah, that, that was the first time you saw it. That was. That was. They yeah. made a um, newspaper, the windows of the kitchen and put the blinds down at the back door. And, and you know, I, I actually really liked surprises, so I didn't even want to spoil it for myself. So <laughs> that was, um, no, it was great. And, look, it's the best thing that we could have had prior to this lockdown because, um yeah, I mean, he spends a lot of time in the day outside there at the moment and um, what they decided to do is perfect for him and his senses as well. You know, they've got everything that he would need to sort of stimulate himself and that imaginative play, which is so important at his age, to start to develop with, you know, and we go out there and we practice, you know, our talking and naming things. And It's wonderful. Yeah, it's really wonderful. So, yeah, I'm really grateful that we were a part of that actually and, and um, just, yeah, just that sort of awareness and getting the story out there, I think it's important. Yeah. Mm. What would you say to other people who might find themselves in a situation where, you know, they have a young child who who may be going through the same thing? What 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 would be your advice? Oh, I, look, I would probably say that, that, you know, it's as hard as it is at the time to stay positive or to try and shift that mindset, but to realise that there's actually so many people out there that are in the same situation or similar situation and there's support there and that we have such an amazing community of people that want to help. And as I said before, I wasn't even aware of the sort of networking that was out there for that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would say that don't feel like you're alone because I think that kind of thing can be quite isolating and you feel like you see people around you having kids and and they seem, you know, I say in quotation marks, perfect, but we know there's no perfect, but And then you think to yourself, well, why me? Like, it's not fair and, and, and that can be quite a, an emotional, challenging thing to deal with. But mm. in actual fact, you, you then begin to realise that, that there is no perfect and that everyone has their challenges in different ways and, and it's going to be okay. It's going to yeah. be all right. You know, reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out for support and um, and that, and that, you know, we've all been there at some point in our lives. I think facing mm. something that has been confronting or unexpected, mm. and having that so early on when you've just had a child and you don't know how to be, you know, a parent yet. I think that makes it even more challenging. So, mm. but it's it's a phase, and I think there's so many phases, and there's going to be good and bad in every phase. Um, 
it's just about yeah as I said reaching out for support talking about talking about it is really important yeah I always felt better when I was talking about it with friends family and other people as well yeah and what sort of things might you have found unhelpful (laughs) was there anything unhelpful (laughs) um unhelpful that's an interesting question um I think at times there were definitely times where I felt overwhelmed as well so I didn't you know all that intervention can at times also be overwhelming and sometimes I needed to just put a pause on it for a week or or just sort of say to one of the teams like I'm just getting too many emails I can't keep up and I can't respond and I it's just it's too much when I'm trying to deal with a newborn baby and trying to navigate this world and so I think um, I guess having the confidence to know when when you just need a, a, a mental break as well yeah. Um, I think yeah so I think being overwhelmed with information can be unhelpful at times yeah. as well if that makes sense you're all consuming kind of yes yes because that that's their intention is obviously to help but it's coming from all different sides and can then eventually build up and then it just seems a little bit too much at that time and it's okay yeah. to at times just give yourself a mental break and just yeah. remove yourself from it for a little while. Sure, um, just getting some space. Yeah. I know, I mean, I know this is a very different thing, but um, speaking to a lot of people at the moment, you know, with the whole pandemic and the lockdown and people are saying the same thing, there's just too much Mm. information every news item every you know, everywhere you turn there's something about COVID or you're walking down the street and you see someone and you have a quick chat and that's the topic of conversation and yeah it just can become all a bit too consuming and finding your space is um it's important isn't it you need to take a breath exactly. yes yes exactly right mm. oh, good on you you've talked about it so Easily. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think I feel, I feel like a bit of an expert now. <laughs> like, not, just, oh, you just, are. Well, it's been, you know, he's only 17 months old, but if I think to my life before that, like I was just a different different yeah. person, I think. It's, it's been a, a journey. Isn't it? Yeah. And having, having a child, anybody having a child, yes. makes a big difference to your life, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. That's right. How, how, how are you feeling about number two coming along in October? <laughs> Yeah, no, we're excited. We're excited. And, and um, you know, it will be so good for Axel. That's what they've said as well. You know, the best yeah. thing you can do for him is actually give him a sibling for that um, language development and communication. And um, and I'm an only child myself, so I'm super excited to actually experience yeah. what it's like to, no, to see siblings great. and to <laughs> raise yeah. siblings. So, yeah, it's come around very quickly. Lots of differences. And, um, yeah, you've spoken about it beautifully, Julia, so thank you for your time. Oh, thank and you for listening, Gary. All the best for, for number two. We thank you very much. Meeting them when they come. And all the best for, for Axel's progress as well. As thank you, time. Gary. I'm sure we'll keep track of that. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you everyone. No, oh, my pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And as usual, if you've got um, some comments or questions about anything that was said today for me or for Julia, please let me know and I can always pass it on to Julia. Have any needs at the moment, you want to have a conversation, of course, this is the time to do it. We need one another. We need to connect. 
and uh, I guess this podcast is what it's all about. Anyway, great to have your company and we look forward to having you with us next time. Bye.